Okay, the schus is for, the shir is a schus for Rafur Shalema, for Yafa Miriam Basar Rezel, and Le'ili Nishmas Saraleya Basar Avshal. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to be here on Yitas Kislev, to share a little bit of, a little bit more of the Hasidah Shatar that we've been learning together for a couple of months now. question is asked, what is Hasidus? And we could ask, as part of that, why has Hasidus become so popular today? Why is it that everyone is running towards it? And tonight after this, I'm, I'm speaking in Shalvim, Yutes Kislev Abrengen, starting at 10 o'clock at night. In Mavasarat, they have a Yutes Kislev Abrengen tonight. And why you, I saw they had last night hundreds of guys getting together. When did this happen? And why did that happen? Rashiva Mavasarat today, he said to me, 20 years ago, nobody knew about Yotas Kislev. I said, it's not exactly correct, but it's true that the hafatza, the, the spreading out of, of Yotas Kislev is a, is a fascinating thing. And Bifrat, that it's come to our community in such a, such a beautiful way that people are so thirsty for it. The Alter Rebbe said in the name of the Magid, the Magid said in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, that Hasidus finds that which is broken, and shows that it's really healed, finds the light in the darkness. And tonight, to share a little bit of that type of Torah. We all know that Yoshua ben Nun, when it came time to go into Eretz Yisrael, he acted like Maish Rabbeinu. And he sent spies into the land of Eretz Yisrael. And when the spies came into Eretz Yisrael, they had a mission to take the pulse of what was happening in Eretz Yisrael and Canaan at that time. And so who does one go to if they want to get a pulse of what's happening in the land? So you go to the local innkeeper, the person who everyone is coming through their doors. That's, it was the town square of old. A person like that would really know what's happening in the land. There was an innkeeper whose name was Rachav. Rachav was a Zaina. The simple explanation of the word Zaina is from Lashon Mazonas. She was an innkeeper. Everyone came through her place. But of course we know that Chazal say that Rachav was not only a Zona in the sense of the fact that she was an innkeeper, but she was a woman of the night. She was a harlot. Why go to her? Because if anybody's going to know the inner thoughts of what's happening in people, inside people's heads. It's going to be Rachel. Not only does everyone come into her inn, but she has an intimate understanding of everybody who is there. So these spies come, Kalev and Pinchas, they come to Rachel's house, and we know that the Melech hears that they're there. And so the Melech comes, and he says, hand over these two spies. She says, what spies? I don't know what you're talking about. Where were they hiding? So in Rachav's business, sometimes men don't want to be seen. So what do they do? So Rachav had flax plants upstairs on the, uh, on the roof of her building. And the men would go hide under these flax plants. And then, when they were ready to escape, they would go out the window and they would go down the rope. The rope outside of Rachav's window went outside of Yericho. It was like a rope outside of the city itself. And so... People, what they would do is they would leave the city, and then they would come in through the city gates. And if you're entering into this through the city gates, obviously you weren't with Rachav. So it was a perfect way that she had to hide these men. So when the king came for Kalev and Pinchas, she said, I don't know what you're talking about. She hid them underneath these flax plants, and she let them out through the window, and they went down the rope. And in this way, they were spared. Rachav made one deal with them. She said... You know that the whole country is terrified that you're coming. Spare me. When you come, spare my family. We all know the story that she tied the red string around her building so that they would know to spare Rachav. And in this way, Rachav survived. The Gemara in Zvachim tells us that Rachav was a Zoyna from the time she was 10 years old. Sometimes I think we think to ourselves like, yeah, in olden times, people were older when they were younger. But I think even in those days, 10 years old, it was very young to be a Zaina. 
Rachel was a designer for 40 years, Chazal say. From the time she was 10 years old to the time she was 50 years old, Rachel was a designer. And she was a beautiful woman. The Gemara in Megillah tells us that she was among the four most beautiful women in the entire world. Esther Amalka, Abigail, who was the wife of David Amalek, Rachav, and Sarah Imenu were the four most beautiful women in the entire world. So she was quite beautiful. But still, she had a, I don't know how to say this nicely, an illustrious career of being a Zaina. Forty years is a long time to be a Zaina. The Gemara in Zvachim tells us that Rachav did tshuva. Ultimately, we know that who did Rachav marry? She married Yoshua. Rachav married Yoshua. She married the Moshe Rabbeinu of her time. So Rachav said, the Gemara says, that she sinned through three items, through the flax, through the window, and through the rope. And in the same way that she sinned through those three items, she also is going to do tshuva through those three items, through the flax, the window, and the rope. Who ultimately comes out of Rachav? First of all, we know already that Rachav and Yoshua's children married Kohanim, so they were clearly accepted within Klal Yisrael. But we know the Gemara tells us that eight different prophets, including Chol Bahanaviyah, came from Rachav. Rachav was so beautiful, the Gemara says that if you said her name twice, it would cause a man to sin, if he saw her. She was so beautiful that even saying her name would bring a person to a state of Avera. And from this unbelievable Zaina, who was so exceptionally beautiful, who had done all these terrible Averas for 40 years, comes eight different prophets, including Cholda Hanaviyah. In fact, the Medrash in Tanadvei Elio says that you see from Rachav that Tshuva is greater than Tefillah. How do you know? Because Moshe Rabbeinu davened to be allowed into Eretz Yisrael, and he wasn't allowed in, and Rachav did Tshuva, and her Tshuva was Neskabah. So what's the pshat in Rachav? How did she end up marrying Yoshua? Could you imagine the scandal today on Yeshiva World News? If the Gadol Hadar would marry someone like Rachav? One could not possibly imagine the comments section of all the Hebra Kedisha with all of their brilliant knowledge having to pontificate and opine on what the Gadole Hadar are doing. One imagines that even back then, and as they're entering into Eretz Yisrael, Pashtas, I'm sure they didn't do this, but maybe Jews, you know, Friday night after the men go to shul and the women are sitting there and they're in the park with all the little kids. I'm sure that's the way it was even back in the day in Eretz Yisrael. I'm sure they were all whispering, going, do you hear that Yoshua married Rachav? How could it be? Pasnisht. And yet, Yoshua marries Rachav. And then the second question is, what's the pshat in the flax, the window, and the rope? They seem to be tangential. The ikar aveir that she did was in the was in the bedroom. The getting the guys out that doesn't seem to be the big aveir. So somehow this part becomes central to the story. I'll share with you a maral. The maral, when you hear this maral, you have to hear it not just as the Maral says it, but the psychological underpinnings that the, Maral, that the Maral is teaching us. So I'll say it outside first, and then I'll say the Maral, what he says. At the core of every one of our Averas, at the core of every aspect of our being, that's not aligned with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's not oriented for success, is deep feelings of loneliness that we don't want to process. For a person to come to a place to acknowledge the existential loneliness that every single person in the world feels, whether they're paying attention to that feeling or not, at the core of all of our lack of alignment is a deep feeling of loneliness. On a very extreme level, we see this with teenagers. We, we see it as adults also, but it's easier for us to talk about teenagers as if they're a different species. It makes it more comfortable and safe for us to acknowledge our own, our own misdeeds. So we'll just talk about teenagers. You know, they love to be spoken about, as long as you don't judge them. <laughs> Why does a teenager behave the way they do? In ninth grade, a little girl, and I've had four of them so far, they come to school, and they go through this. Uh, in, in Eretz Yisrael, they call them chetnikim. Right? We, were, we were big eighth graders, remember? 
Remember when you were in seventh grade and you were saying, when I'm in eighth grade, I'm going to rule the school? I remember that was the Shprach when I was in eighth grade. We're going to rule the school. We run the school. So you go from being running the school to a freshie, fresh meat. I know there's no bullying today, but back in the 90s, there was bullying. It was okay back then. It wasn't okay, but it was okay. Yeah? you fresh meat. You're a freshman. And all of a sudden, you're trying to find yourself in a world where you've lost yourself just like a moment ago. Like, for example, all these new girls from all these new schools, and how do I fit? Do you remember this? Unless you went straight shot to the same place and everybody was there, but I doubt anybody did that. And all of a sudden, you have the girls from this school and that school, and you're trying to figure out exactly where you are. I can't tell you how many hours of conversations I've had with my daughters. It's dozens for sure. Who are my friends? This is a big deal. Who you sit with, in uh, who you sit with outside during hafsaka is a very big deal, because it defines like your entire trajectory. Are you with these girls? Are you with those girls? I was with those girls in eighth grade. Now I left them, but they're talking about me, and I don't feel comfortable. It's 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 an it's an amazing crisis of of loneliness, and you see it, and there's a struggle for this. Who am I? So we work it out at some point along the way, but more or less what high school kids do is they trade authenticity for connectivity. Because of their loneliness, they put on an act to be somebody that they're not in order to be accepted by others, which is of course the paradox of if I'm not, if I'm not who I actually am, I can't be accepted by anybody else because who am I? Where does it come from that people do that? It comes from a deep sense of loneliness. If we're being honest with ourselves, we probably do it as adults also. We come to a community, maybe we know people, maybe we don't know people. Who can I talk to? Who speaks my language? Who understands me? Who'll give me space? I need to act, as, especially when we're young, I need to act as if everything's okay. I need to be the person that says my marriage is fine. I can't tell anyone that my marriage is challenging. I can't talk about the difficulties that I have with my children. I have one friend that I'm able to be myself with. So there's a deep sense of loneliness that almost everybody's experiencing because nobody wants to say, this is who I actually am. That's the challenge of all of our lives. It's the challenge of people, if we're being honest, it's the challenge of people that are in challenging marriages, and all marriages have their challenges. And to be living with a person and to feel deeply alone, and to feel that, that real loneliness of, I was hoping that in marriage I would find somebody with whom I could be myself and with whom somebody could be themselves with me. And there's a deep sense of loneliness that exists. And that loneliness becomes the prism through which we see the entire world. And now everywhere you go, if you're feeling those feelings or not feeling those feelings of loneliness, even though they're deeply embedded inside of us, it becomes and it informs the way in which we behave in every aspect of our lives. And so people do a million different things to, to deal with that loneliness. Because that's they're seeing the world, everything... If you're lonely, everything becomes about connectivity. Everything becomes about how can I create connectivity where there isn't. In today's generation, even amongst adults, it's a crazy thing that this is happening, but even amongst adults, the, the nature of substance abuse. It used to be a teenage kid was, was smoking up. Today, even amongst the adults, you find these things. What's the pshat? It's that worldview. It's that way of seeing the world of I just need something to connect to. That's what addiction is in its core. Addiction is this desire to connect to something. And if I can't have the real thing, I'll settle for anything. Anything that will give me at least some feeling of connection. We can do that with drugs and alcohol. We can do it with food. We can do it with inappropriate relationships. We can do it with codependency. We can really become addicted to anything. We could trade true, authentic connection for any fake pornographic connection that exists in order to have that feeling of connectivity. So the Maral says, this is the story of Rachav. Rachav, how do you become a Zaina at 10 years old? Only a very, very hurt person could be a Zaina at 10 years old. I had a client last night. This client is amazing. Did many, many Averis when they were in high school. And they, they're working through it in the sense that now they're in a stage in their life where they need to share that with another. And the way that they're going to share that is by giving the real story of what happened. The real story was not, I did X and Y Averis. For a halachic reason, this person has to share that 
they did this Avera. But in, in conversation, this person said, I'm going to say the truth. I had a traumatic childhood. I was abused by my siblings, physically, sexually. And the things that I did were this misguided attempt to numb my pain and connect to anything. And I'm going to give context to this. These Averas that I did, they were not things that brought me any sense of pleasure. They were things that were an attempt, lechalutin, in every sense of the word. They were, it was just an attempt to connect to something. And I'm hopeful, this person said, I'm so hopeful that this person, not that they'll say, okay, it doesn't bother me. I'm hopeful that they'll see my story and say, it's okay to have been you. That this could be a part of your story and you could be lovable and acceptable despite what you did, because what you did, you didn't do because you were bad. You did what you did because you were in a tremendous amount of pain. And I was, as this person was telling me this, I was on the verge of tears. Because when you hear somebody speak like that, somebody who's clearly gone, you can only speak like that if you've gone to therapy. There's no way, no, no person has that language without going to therapy. And here's a person that's, that's no longer treating themselves with that hatred and that anger, that inner critic that so many of us speak to ourselves with. I'm a bad person because I did X. It's not true. Every single Aveira that we did is no different than the Averas that this client did. It's just that this client did it over here. Because of the extreme pain that they were in, they did extreme Averas of connection. And we also do Averas also because of a lack of connection. Also because of that, that need for connection, that need for, not just connection, that need for belonging that exists in every one of us. Rachav didn't become a Zayna because she was a bad person. Rachav became a Zayna because she was a hurt child. And from a very, very young age, as a 10-year-old, she sought the company of others. She sought the company of others on a chitzonious level by opening up an inn. There are people that provide for other people, not because they authentically want to give from a deep place of self, because if I give, it's, it's, it's an expression of me, but the opposite. They give because if I can feed you, then maybe I'll be enough. I think probably some people in the room know what I'm talking about. It's not a simple thing to be able to give, especially, especially the wives of our community that are giving so exceptionally. And we are, Baruch Hashem, a community of unbelievable chesed. But sometimes in our chesed, there's a deep sense of resentment. Sometimes we do for another and we're like, I have nothing left to give. And it's, it's like, it no longer becomes this act that fulfills us. It's, it's something that's draining to us. And the reason that it's coming from that place is because it's not... It's not it's a need that I have to give to another, because if I give to another, then I'm enough. As opposed to, I am enough, so I can give to another. This was Rachel. On a chitzoniest level, she opened up an inn. If everybody will come, and I can feed everybody, and make them feel good about themselves, then I can be enough. That's a hurt child speaking. And on a panemius level, what she was doing in the bedroom, that was also an inappropriate connection that existed. That was her attempt to try to satisfy her own loneliness by connecting to something that wasn't really hers. And she was in such extreme pain that she did it for 40 years. And yes, she had the beauty to pull it off, but that beauty wasn't, it wasn't something that she was proud of. It wasn't something that she said, I'm beautiful and I embrace that beauty because it's godly. For her, her beauty was a tool that she could potentially use to ameliorate some of that loneliness. Maral says, this is what it means, flax. Flax, like the coin Gadol wears, big day bag. Bag means garments of flax. Bad also means loneliness. Like bidud, like we were all in bidud a couple years ago. Like Yushalayim is Echa Yashva Badad. How could Yushalayim be in this state of loneliness? Yushalayim, which is the ultimate place of connection, how Echa Yashva Badad, how could it be in the state of loneliness? But that was the loneliness that Rachel felt, the flax. And therefore she also had the flax, she also had a window. A window is how you see out into the world. A window is how you engage. It's the lenses through which you see when you look out into the world. So Rachel in her whole life, whenever she was looking out the window, all she saw was 
Maybe this will be a place of connection. Maybe then I could be enough. Maybe then I could satisfy myself. But of course, it doesn't work like that. And then the rope, as we know, the rope is what we do to connect. That's what a rope always does. You tie a rope around something, it connects yourself to it. I was, I was walking with my uh, Talmidim to the Yud Teskislev cell yesterday. Baruch Hashem, there's about 20 boys in the, in the shir. And we were walking from the Tachana Merkazi to the... Uh, to Binyanei Hauma, and, and we were all walking together, and the boy said, Rebbe, we should have a rope. You know, like, uh, you know, when you're like walking as a kid through the halls of your school? He said, we should have brought a rope so that we could walk, it's such a mevasarant thing to say. We should, have, we should have had a rope so that we could all hold on to the rope, walking together. And then I started, I didn't have this when I was growing up. We had finger on the wall. I guess they, had, they, got, they got younger, they got ropes. So the boy said, I call the triangle. The triangle up is apparently the, the best thing to hold on to, because it was the easiest to hold on to. So they were all like joking, I hold the rope. I was thinking to myself, there's something very beautiful about this idea that we all hold the rope. The rope is a place of eskashos. The, pla- the rope is, is, is a place of connection. It's what we do. What does Rachav mean when she says, it's dafka through the flax, it's through the window, it's through the rope that I'm going to do tshuva. Rachav didn't need to talk about her bedroom because that wasn't the Avera. When, when Kalev and Pinchas came, the impact of those tzaddikim, the impact of Klal Yisrael standing on the verge of Yericho, and that she knew that MS is coming, it had such a purifying impact that Rachav, now, after 40 years of pain, after 40 years of torture, of being a Zaina, she finally realized, it's not about the Aveira. It's about all that drove me to the Aveira. For Rachav to pay attention to the Aveira, for Rachav to say, I'm going to do tshuva with the things that happened in my bedroom. It'd be a mistake. That wasn't Rachav. Rachav was about the flax, she was about the window, she was about the rope. What happened in the bedroom was tangential. It wasn't her. Namela, we understand what the Gemara means when it says that Rachav will do tshuva exactly through these things. As we look back on our own loneliness, it becomes apparent to us that our loneliness is not only the portal to all of the disconnect that we have in our life, but it's actually the portal to all the authentic connection that we have in our life. Lamashal. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to meet an alcoholic or drug addict who's walked through the 12 steps. The single most spiritual, deeply connected people I've ever met in my entire life went through Gehenna in order to get there. And it turns out, and they'll tell you, that the reason they drink, and the reason that they smoked or did whatever drugs they were doing, is because of their spiritual sensitivity. Carl Jung, the famous psychologist, once said about, uh, about addicts, that addicts are human beings writ large that most of us are not sensitive enough to the spiritual void that exists in this world. An addict is somebody who is so deeply aware of spirituality in this world that a failure to be spiritual, that void of spirituality, they call it a God-sized hole. They're trying to fill a God-sized hole with all of these substances. That God-sized hole, it must be filled. So most of us are on the spectrum of abuse. Most of us abuse one thing or another. But the difference between the addict and the abuser is the addict literally can't live without that drink. They can't live without it. Because the spiritual void, they're so exceptionally spiritual that if they don't have that spirituality in their life, it's, it's a horrific feeling for them. Something that probably none of us can truly understand. Which is why... Jung also said, spiritus und spiritum. A spiritual problem requires a spiritual solution. That it wasn't going to be enough to go to detox. It wasn't going to be enough to go to rehab. But the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which are designed to give a person spirituality, they're not religious steps, but they are spiritual. If you're looking for a phenomenal book to read, there's a book written by Rabbi Shaste Taub. It's a brilliant blend of the 12 steps and chassidus. It is, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal book. Even for those who are not, consider themselves addicts. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal book. 
and he speaks about the fact that the spiritual void that these addicts feel, it's because they're such deeply spiritual people. When they walk those steps, it's the only way for them to stay sober. And if they stop walking the steps, if they move off of making amends and checking in with their resentments and checking in with their fears and being honest and taking responsibility, if they move away from those deeply spiritual principles, if they can't constantly give over their addiction to a higher power, they very quickly fall back into their addictive state. This is exactly what Rachav said. Rachav said, I always thought about myself, and many of us feel the same way, I always thought about myself that I'm such a broken person. It's not true. The truth is, I'm such a spiritual person. That's why Rachav, at the end of the day, she has such spiritual progeny. It wasn't only from Yoshua, it was from Rachav. And it was the reason why Yoshua could marry Rachav. Because Rachav really, really was such a spiritual person. The pain that she felt as a six, seven, eight, nine-year-old girl that drove her to those behaviors, other people probably could have handled that trauma. She couldn't, not because she was a bad person, but because she was such a deeply spiritual person that the lack of that spirituality in her life was debilitating. She needed to be able to look at that spirituality not as something that was harming her, but as something that would ultimately bring her to deep authentic connection. So she says, it's exactly that state of loneliness that's ultimately going to cure me. It's exactly that state of loneliness. And all of a sudden she saw the world differently. All of a sudden the window changed. And all of a sudden the rope changed. And now when Klai Yisrael comes into Canaan and they're conquering it and turning into Eretz Yisrael, it's Yoshua that she connects to. And she, shut, she shuts down her whole inn. The whole thing, 40 years, she shuts it down. And it probably wasn't a pshat that women were sitting around and talking about Rachav and saying, how could Yoshua have married Rachav? It was Yoshua married Rachav. She was, she, was a, she was a dugma ishit. She was a role model for every single Jew, not just the women. She was a role model for every single Jew that as you're coming into Eretz Yisrael and you're engaging the most spiritual place, the falls that you have, the averas that you do, it comes from that place of loneliness. It comes from that place of spirituality, because the truth is the more spiritual we are, the more lonely we feel. My mother-in-law once said to me, many, many years ago, my mother-in-law is a very wise person, she said to me that when she read Lonely Man of Faith from Rav Soloveitchik for the first time, and she read those first words, I am lonely, she said they were so powerful to her. The words, I am lonely. When you hear that, when you, and, and you could almost, you know, anyone could say those words, but when Rav Soloveitchik wrote them, and you just read them for the first time. It's like, it's earth-shattering, no? It's like, you almost could feel his loneliness. Like, you could, you could feel like he was, whatever he was going through when he wrote that, he was going through it for real. I am lonely is a deeply spiritual thing to feel. But that spiritual void is the opportunity for spiritual greatness. And we know that the Arizal says, that Yoshua was a Gilgal of Yosef HaTzadik, and Rachav was a Gilgal of Eshes Potiphar, which brings it all the way back to this week's parsha. What was the reason that Eshes Potiphar wanted so badly to be with Yosef HaTzadik? If she was married to Potiphar, who was this great leader in, in all of Mitzrayim, why in the world would she want to be with Yosef, who was a slave? Enoch he was the head slave. He was a cute boy. We know Chazal tells he was very good looking. He was Masak and Basara, he was playing with his hair. But okay, like you don't give that up. You're married to this unbelievable Mitzri. Why in the world would you sleep with a, uh, with a slave boy? Why'd she desire him so much? And you look at Chazal, she didn't just desire him. She, she like every day was constantly chepering him, changing her clothing, offering him money, doing whatever she could to entice him. What was this deep need that, that Aishas Potiphar had to be with Yosef Atadik? The answer is, that Aishas Potiphar also experienced this exceptional loneliness. Sometimes when you're married to the person who has it all, you are not connected at all. It's like, um, you see sometimes by, by very, very big leaders that there's no room for their family. They have room for everybody else in Klai Yisrael, but no room for the people they love the most. Because that leadership is a leadership of... I'm giving to everybody else because there's really nobody deeply connected. There is such a place like that. And the wives of those leaders, the children of those leaders, they feel very much that they can't get what they need. I'll tell you, Maisa, 
I won't tell you who. But there was a Gadol Hador of the last generation. And when I say Gadol Hador, I mean like one of the Gadol Hador. Like a person that if I said their name, you would all be like, yeah. His daughter is a Rebetzin. A chaver of mine went to this Rebetzin. She's the Rebetzin in his community. And he's, he was schmoozing with her many, many years ago. When he was much younger. The story goes back 25 years. And he asked her, what was it like to be the daughter of the Gadol Hador? You know, it's a cool question. What's it like to grow up in the Kanievsky home, in the Feinstein home, in the Cutler home? What's it like? So she said, we always came second. So my friend was shocked to hear that. You know, that's not usually what you hear. You always hear like, no, 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 my father always prioritized his family. She said, we always came second. But we never came third. What does that mean? She said, you have to understand, my father was more important than the President of the United States. The President of the United States, he was uh, running the country, big deal. My father was running Klal Yisrael. My father was building Klal Yisrael. This is the nation that's, that's bringing Elokus into the entire world. My father was much more important than the President of the United States. And other G'day Lehador would call my father to be Shol Eitzah. What should we do about this? What should we do about that? When my father said jump, the whole Jewish community would move in a particular direction. What he was doing was the most important thing in the world. We knew we came second, but we never came third. My father never put anything else before us. The needs of the cloud came first, but we felt his love so much because whenever he could, despite the huge position that he had, we always came second. And it's a beautiful story. And I guess for this girl it worked. For some, for some kids it might not. But for this girl it worked. But there are some families where... The leadership is not because I'm doing for Klal Yisrael from that deep place of self. But it's this need that if I can only be seen like this, so then I'll be enough. And the people that won't give you that sense of satisfaction are your families. And so these leaders, they lead in such a way that everybody at home is terribly lonely. And there is no father at home. And the children are mamish, they're, they're, they're maniacs. Why are the children maniacs? Because they want so badly to... That, that classic Rebbe who's changing every girl's life, who's changing every guy's life, and the kids are crying out and they're saying, how come you won't do the same thing for me? How come you sit with everybody else, but I don't get the same time, I don't get the same feeling, and you don't make me feel like a million bucks? How come I don't get that? This is the way Ashish Potiphar felt. And all of a sudden comes in this charismatic and good-looking and talented and connective type of person. That's who Yosef Atzadik was. He was a connective person. They totally misunderstood his dreams. His dreams were that we were all doing this together. Not that you're bowing down to me that I'm separate, but we're all in the field together. We're all in the sky together. That's what Yosef Atzadik meant. Yosef from Eloshan of Asifa, to gather together. Here was this unbelievable person of connectivity, and she craved it so badly. But Yosef Atzadik, even though he was also very alone, sold by his brothers, totally alone in the world, with no other Yidin in the world to speak to, even though he's about to fall prey to her, what does Yosef HaTzadik do? He looks out the window. The same window of Rachav HaZayna. He also looks out the window. And who does he see in the reflection? He sees his father in the reflection of the window. Which means that Yosef HaTzadik, even in that place of loneliness, felt deeply connected. And as we know, Yaakov Avinu Vayimai, he refused to be consoled. The father that refused to be consoled creates the connection for the son that's involved. That's why you find by Hasidim that they light the menorah in the window. That as we look out into the world, the world needs to be illuminated by the lights of the menorah. Yosef HaTzadik, who said, He was lonely, looking for his brothers. Yosef HaTzadik was still connected, even in the lowest places. The Gemara Menachos. The Gemara Menachos tells us about a Talmud of Revchia. This Talmud was very careful about the mitzvah of tzitzis. Maybe you've heard this Gemara before. It's a little bit of a, a rated R Gemara. So I'll, I'll say it as nicely as I can. It was very Zahir in the mitzvah of Tzitzis. And he heard about a Zaina who was overseas. And she charged 400 gold coins for her services. It's a very expensive sum of money. So he paid in advance. He booked an appointment. This was not a Zaina that you just showed up to. He had to mamish, you know, mail a letter, make an appointment, show up at a particular date. He comes to their house, the Gemara says. There was a secretary that came out to greet him. She shows him into the bedroom. The Gemara tells us 
what the bedroom looked like. Gemara tells us that the bedroom had seven beds stacked, one on top of another. The first six beds were made of silver, the top bed was made of gold. And between each bed there was a silver ladder, and the top ladder was made of gold. So this man, he, he came to the top of the bed, the Gemara says, and he began to undress. The Zaina was sitting on top of the bed. The Gemara tells us that as he was undressing, his tzitzis hit him in the face. Even though he was this Talmud of Ravchia, I imagine that to be called a Talmud of Ravchia means you're no slouch. That's like, uh, my Rebbe told me, lots of people sat in Rav shear. Not everybody was a Talmud of Rav and from walks around, I was a Talmud of Rav Just because you sat in the shear doesn't mean you're a Talmud. If the Gemara says he was a Talmud of Rav it means he was a Talmud of Rav It doesn't just mean that he sat in the shear. He got hit in the face with the tzitzis, and he said, that's it. He went down, and he sits on the floor, and the Zaina comes to sit with him. And she says, I'm not letting you leave until you tell me what you found wrong with me. Because this was her livelihood. This was her business. This was her everything. So he said to her, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. But in the parsha of Tzitzit, it says, Ani Hashem twice. Which means, I'm the God who will give you schar, and I'm also the God who will give you einish. Ani Hashem Elokeichem, I'm also going to give you an einish. And now, the four tzitzis of my garment are going to testify against me that I did this Avera, so I can't do this Avera. The Zayna says to him a very strange thing. She says to him, I won't let you go until, until you tell me your name, your city, the name of your Rebbe, and the name of your yeshiva. So he does, and she leaves. He gives her the information in a, in a piece of paper. She takes it in her hand. He leaves. And what does the Zayna do? She sells all of her property. She gives, the Gemara says, a third to the government as a bribe to let her leave. A third of the money she gives to Tzedakah. She keeps a third of the money for herself. And she takes that third of the money and the golden and silver beds with the golden and silver ladders. And she travels to Ravchia. And she comes to Ravchia and she says, I'd like for you to be Megayami. I'd like to be converted. So Ravchia looks at her and the Ruach Kadshai, or perhaps just with his psychological intuition, Rav Chia says, perhaps you're being Megayer because you want to marry one of my students. Obviously, Rav Chia understood something very deep here. So she doesn't say a word, she hands Rav Chia the note. And on the note is the name of the Talmud, the name of the city, Rav Chia's name, the name of the yeshiva. Rav Chia says, go and take your possessions, go take your purchase. Very strange thing to say. Gemara says that she found this boy, they married each other, and the Gemara says that the beds that she had used for all of those years, where she was the most expensive zaina in the entire world, now became the beds in her bedroom. It's a very strange story. First of all, if he's such a good person, if he's such a big Talmud of and he's so zahir in the mitzvah of tzitzis, how in the world did he end up by that zaina's house? How did that happen? And second of all, what happens when the tzitzis hit him as he's getting undressed, I don't understand. That morning, he got, he got there, he was at his hotel. He got dressed, he put on his tzitzis, right? That morning, when he looked at his tzitzis, he didn't have a hurei tshuva, right? Only later, Bishas Maisa, as he's about to do the Avera, only then does he have a hurei tshuva. Then he says, no, no, I can't do this anymore. What happened that morning? Why Dafka now? And why is she so taken with him? You know, as you get older you're able to develop a little bit of a thicker skin. And what people say don't, doesn't matter as much, right? I would imagine if this woman was a top zaina in the entire world, that it was worth traveling overseas to be with her, okay, so a guy doesn't want to be with you. Take your 400 gold dinar, you made your money, right there, what do you need? It's okay, leave him alone, Muslim gain, so you missed one. She's so deeply connected to him that she needs to travel all the way to Rufhia, all the way overseas to marry this person. And then, of course, there's the famous question, which is, Get new beds. I remember uh, when I was newly married, we were in Kailo and we couldn't afford very much. So I went on Craigslist in America and they were, I found beds for sale. Looking back on it, I was like, 
I'm older now, so I didn't realize what. And back then, I didn't know what money was. You know, I felt like a hundred dollars was a lot of money. I thought five hundred dollars was a lot of money. You get older, you realize five hundred dollars is like a nickel. You, money flies out of this place so fast. And now my daughter is engaged. I think my bank account sprung a leak. Like I just like <laughs> I see that the numbers just dwindle so fast. It's a shambayu. It's it's a good it's a good reason to have your bank account dwindle. But okay, get new beds. The schlep, first of all, it must have been a schlep to take golden and silver beds on a boat across the ocean, very heavy. She had to pay a lot of money. And wasn't it, Mustama, uncomfortable for this Talmud of Rafia that she married? Like, you come into your bedroom every day and you see your, your wife, who was a former Zaina, and her wares. Get new beds, get new sheets. What are you bringing that into the marital bedroom for? So the Arizal says that just like Yoshua, was a Gilgal of Yosef HaTzadik. This Talmud of Ruchia was also the Nitzots of Yosef HaTzadik. And if you look at the story, it's exactly the same. Yosef HaTzadik ended up in the house of Ashes Potiphar because that was where the Hashkacha put him. Just like Ruchia's Talmud, he found himself drawn to this Zayna. He had no idea why. And in the morning when he woke up and he put on Sitzis, he was in such a trance. He had no idea how he ended up there. He was in such a trance that he just made his way there. Until he got there. And all of a sudden he's up on the beds, and all of a sudden he's like, wait a second, what am I doing here? How did I, how did I come to be in this place? What was I hoping for? What was I searching for? And now the tzitzis hit him in the face. Just like Yaakov, just like Yosef HaTzadik. We know the Gemara tells us, we don't, I don't, we don't really teach this Gemara to children very often. We always say Yosef HaTzadik was about to do the Avera, and then he stopped himself. But it's not true. If you look at the Gemara and Sota, the Gemara and Sota makes it very clear that Yosef HaTzadik didn't stop himself from doing the Avera. He stopped himself at the very, very, very last moment before a person completes the Avera is when he mamish stopped himself. But up until then, he was mamish. He was in the throes of the Avera before he saw Yaakov Vinu's face in the window. Just like Yaakov Vinu's face all of a sudden shocked Yosef out of his, out of his doldrums, it shocked this Nitzot of Yosef HaTzadik also. And that same loneliness that Aisha's Potiphar felt was the loneliness of this Zaina. And when she felt the connectivity to this Yosef HaTzadik, when you find that authentic connectivity, you'll travel anywhere for it. When you taste what it means, belonging, it's the greatest feeling in the world to be honest and to be accepted, no? Is there any greater feeling than to be yourself and for somebody to say, I see you with kindness and compassion and I see your story for what it truly is? If you, have a, if you have an hour, nobody in this room has an hour. I know that nobody in this room has an hour. I know that our lives are very, very busy. But people have an hour. You find yourself in the car. Go on Meaningful Minute on, uh, on the podcast and listen to the podcast with Dr. Kivi Perlman. Dr. Kivi Perlman, one of my old, old, old friends. Today he's a therapist. He is one of the most... Hartzig people you will ever meet in your entire life. He talks about how he just sits with his clients and accepts them as they are. To listen to him is to understand what belonging means. I called him up after the podcast and I said to him, Kivi, I want you to know, what you described, that feeling of belonging, I just, I feel so like happy for your clients in that room. Because your clients in that room, they're not just talking to a therapist, they're able to discover themselves in a completely non-judgmental environment where they're able to be whoever they are with all of their pain, with all of their trauma, with all of their story and feel deeply connected. And he said, yeah, that, that's, who, that's what he does. That's, like, that's the gift that he's able to give people because that's the gift that people gave to him. So once this Nitzot, of Eishas Potiphar, this Nitzot of Rachav, the same Zaina, she keeps coming back in the same way. Once that Nitzot discovers what true belonging means, she's never going to let it go. But she says, just like Rachav, I'm not embarrassed of these beds. I'm not embarrassed of the flax. I'm not embarrassed of the window. I'm not embarrassed of the rope. I'm not embarrassed of any of it. I bring it with me because it's the person that I, it's the person that I am. That, that same desire for connection and that same desire for loneliness, it's all one. It's not two separate desires. The desire, the, the loneliness that I had my entire life, it was, it drove me to this place, but it's the same place that brings me to that place of connection. That's why when she shows up to Rivchia, Rivchia says, go and take your purchase. What purchase? 
the purchase that Potiphar made all those years ago of Yosef HaTzadik. The money that you spent back then, now it belongs to you. You were waiting all these thousands of years for Yosef HaTzadik to come back. Now is the time for that connection to be created. This, this loneliness, this loneliness that, that we all feel in our lives is the loneliness of Hanukkah. That's why it says, the Yavanim said, Right on the horn of an ox, that you have no connection to the God of Israel. And we know who's the Shor. The Shor is Yosef HaTzadik. This is Yosef HaTzadik. The Shor is Yosef. In the times of the Hashmonaim, we don't, I think sometimes we think about the Maccabim in such, a, in such a silly way. We think about the Maccabim, I don't know how it became. The Maccabim became a, an a cappella group. The Maccabim became the YU basketball team. The Mac- they, they've, they've co-opted and corrupted the notion of what it means to be a Maccabim. What it meant to be a Maccabee was when every Yidin Klal Yisrael felt so disconnected from Hashem. They weren't becoming Misyavnim, they weren't becoming Greek because they thought that Greek culture had what to offer. It was because the culture told them, you no longer have a Chelak Beloke Yisrael, you're lonely people. That's what you are. You have zero connection to anything. That's the crisis that's happening today, right? That so many people are going off because they're like... I don't know, I can't go through the motions anymore. I sat with a kid today, and he said to me, he's like, what do you want from me? You want me to daven? I don't want to daven. You want me to learn? I don't want to learn. What's he really saying? He's saying, I don't, f- I don't find I look in this. I don't find Hashem in this. There's no reason for me to do this. He wasn't saying intellectual. He, wasn't say- he said, all the arguments that, give- that anyone gives me, I don't find any value in them. It's not because he's a genius. It's not because he's learned all of Plato and all of Socrates and, and, he, and he's listening to all the, you know, all the atheists today and he's come up with better reasons. He's saying, I don't, it's, not, it's not Mosheikh me. It's not, it's not moving me. I don't feel any sense of connection because I can't find the Rebbein Shalom in these things. That's what's missing today. This is, this is the story of Hanukkah. The story of Hanukkah is the Rebbein Shalom saying to us, you didn't lose me. It, just because it's dark outside and just because... Just because you don't feel my presence doesn't mean I'm not here. That's what the gift that we need to give to people. And that's why the Gemara and Shabbos says, most people know the one version of the Gemara and Shabbos. The Gemara and Shabbos says that you light Hanukkah Neros. Where do you light Hanukkah Neros? You light Hanukkah Neros on the left because on the right side of your home is the mezuzah. So this way you're surrounded by mitzvahs. There's another, there's another text of the Gemara. The Gemara says that people would wear talesim. They would wear talesim while they were lighting the menorah. Why? Because you need to have the person who's wearing the talus in the middle. Surrounded by mitzvahs doesn't just mean on your right-hand side and on your left-hand side. It means the deep feeling of connection that a person has in the middle. The beds that that Zaina had, remember she had was seven ladders, seven, seven beds and six ladders? That's literally what tzitzis look like. It's the seven knots and the six wrapped around between. It was literally tzitzis that he was climbing up. A person has to have that sense of connectivity that comes with tzitzis, that sense of awareness of a locus when they're lighting the menorah. The Ben Yishchai says that tzitzis, mezuzah, and Hanukkah is tzemach. Tzitzis, mezuzah, menorah, meaning tzitzis, mezuzah, and Hanukkiah, it's tzemach, as in smicha sagaula. When does the Rabbani Shalom send Mashiach? When we'll have that awareness that the loneliness that we went into, the gullus that we went into, was only to discover in the loneliness that we were never really lonely. That's what a person finds. When they're, when they're all alone is when they find Hashem. People think, I'll find Hashem when I'm connected. It's the opposite. The reason that we all have to be lonely, the reason that all of us go through this pain, with our spouses, with our children, with our communities, with ourselves, the reason that we all go through this pain is because a person has to find their Rebbein Shalom within that pain. And life certainly brings us to a place of loneliness. Everybody here at some point in their life has cried tears of loneliness. With the guys, it's the tears that they hold back. There's a boy who was in my office today. He's in a tremendous amount of pain. And we had to have a hard conversation because he violated a rule in the yeshiva. And, it, and I wasn't talking about getting him in trouble. There was no, he, he didn't need to be disciplined. He just needed to talk about what's going on. And I said to him, you know, this, this thing that you're doing, it's working for you? And all of a sudden his eyes welled up with tears. And if you know 18-year-old boys, what do 18-year-old boys do when their eyes well up with tears? They do everything they can not to let those tears fall. 
So he's talking through the tears. You know, that like I'm like choking them back. He's talking through the tears. So I, I learned this from my wife. I asked him, if the tears that you're not crying right now could speak, what would they say? After that, it was, it was a waterfall. I know that this boy has been holding back those tears for so long. I know he has. And he needs to cry them out. Because he went through tremendous pain. The things that he saw in his childhood, the things that he went through. He's not doing these things because, because things are working for him. He's doing these things because things are not working for him. But I told him today that the tzmicha, the geula for him, the flowering of the redemption will come from these tears. That if he'll choose not to run away from this pain, but to lean into the pain, to work through the pain, and to move through the pain, that's how he's going to find the Eivishter. And I think it's going to happen. You know, it's, it's that time of year, it's Hanukkah, it's that time of year when the boys are starting to make these moves. I have a tremendous amount of hope for this particular young man. And I hope, and I'm confident, that in four, five, six months from now, and in five, ten years from now, I think you're going to see something very special from this person. You'll never know that it's this person, but he has the capacity to be incredible and unbelievable. I could see him being a Rebbe in our yeshiva one day. He's talented on so many levels. And the choice, the crossroads that he's at right now, to lean into the pain or to run away from it, and he is leaning into it. But that crossroads, in so many ways, is going to define his life, as it did for everybody in this room. And if we have not yet found the geula in that state of Galas, then Be'ez Hashem, we should be zaycha, this Yud Teskislev. This, this Yontif of Chasidus that tells us that there's light in the darkness, and this Yontif of Hanukkah that's coming up. We should be zaycha to engage all of the loneliness of our lives, all of the loneliness of the people in our families, and to share with them that in that place of loneliness, there's exceptional connection. Thank you.